0: Take us to our uh, our anchor scripture. We've been reading this scripture every single week as we've been in this series that we've been in now for five weeks already. Second Corinthians chapter four verses sixteen through eighteen. So if you're online with us today, I want to encourage you: grab your Bible, grab your notebook. Uh, tell us where you are joining from today in that little comment section. We've got our team online, our our digital team there with you. Let us know where you're watching from. Like, subscribe, do all those things. And if you're in the house today, uh, hopefully you've got this thing right here: paper and leather. Come on, somebody, I love it. Um, Grab that and your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter four, verses 16 through 18 says this. Therefore, we do not give up. Like I love it, it's just a period right there. We can stop there for a moment. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Today, as we continue on in our series, How to Survive a Pandemic, I wanna speak to you from the subject, the place where God moves. The place where God moves as we look at building and maintaining a healthy soul in the midst of hardship and affliction. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we love you. We worship you, we thank you that your word is alive. It is not dead, it is not distant, it is not irrelevant, it is your word for our life. And so right now we pray that it would give us life, that it would sustain us, that it would bring us joy and peace, God. Right now where there's any anxiety or fear or frustration or just the weight of the world on our shoulders where our souls are weary, God, right now, I pray that your word would come crashing through It would break it all down and that you would give us peace that surpasses all understanding. So we love you. We thank you for your word today in Jesus' mighty name. Come on. And everyone shouted amen amen and amen. Uh, My daughter has an attitude. Come on. Any parents in the house today? Come on, parents online, you know what I'm talking about. Right now, some of your kids are just Lord of the Flies in your house right now. Um, my, my three-year-old especially, we're, we're, we can work with our olders right now, but my three-year-old, she's, she's got an attitude right now and she's, uh, she's pretty quick to get frustrated at things and she wants things to work her way. Uh, she's kinda like her mom, this is why I don't golf with, with my wife. Um, Mainly because she wants to be a professional after three rounds of golfing and, and thinks it should all just work out for her. So I refuse to allow my peace to leave me as I play with her. And um, uh, so my daughter's a little bit the same way. And she has this phrase because she'll try to do things, she'll try to play with toys or put things together and everything like that. And after getting extremely frustrated, we've heard her say this multiple, multiple times, she'll say, It's not working. Come on, somebody. It's not working. And she'll get all frustrated. It's not working. That's like her favorite clause right now. It's not working. And we're like, well, no, it's actually, you're just not doing it right. It's not that it's not working. It's that you're not doing it right. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And uh, everything has a design associated with the way that it should work, including you and I. There's actually a way that we should work. The problem that we face is that many times we, like Elle, struggle to figure out why we are not working. We struggle to figure out why. I struggle. Come on, anybody with me today? I struggle with figuring out why I'm not working sometimes. And the reason for this is because there is a part of us that we tend to neglect more than anything, and that is our soul. Third John 2, in the ESV version, would tell us this, that Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you. All may go well with you. And that you may be in good health, watch, as it goes well with your what? Soul. So already we're offered that there's an intrinsic truth and reality that our soul plays in our life. Our lives are very much the same and it's our soul that has to be intact first and foremost. This is what we read in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. We read this, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Anybody been feeling like they've been carrying a cross lately? For whoever would, watch what he says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is such beautiful, beautiful scripture. Verse 26, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? In other words, We're being told that what does it matter if you can have everything but lose your soul? You can have all the money in the world. You can have all the health in the world. You can have all of the stuff and the things. You can have all of the promotions. You can have the biggest bank account. You can have the most popularity. You can have a million followers on Instagram. It doesn't matter if you have all those things and you lose your soul. Why? Because even when those things are working, we may not still be able to work if our soul is not intact. And I think for many of us, we get trapped. I know I get trapped trying to get everything else to work, thinking that's how then I'm going to work. But the truth is, is that it doesn't matter how good things are, it doesn't matter how bad things are, if this is not intact, I'm not intact. Ruth Halley Barton, in her book, Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, writes concerning our souls that everything, this is what she says, emerges from our willingness to stay involved with our own soul paying attention to it, strengthening it, and maintaining its health. Then she continues to help define, and I want us to hear this today because I need to build some context before we get to the practical. She helps us define what our soul is as she writes, it is the place where God's spirit is at work stirring up our deepest questions and longings to draw us deeper into relationship with him. I love that. In other words, it's the place where God works. It's the place where God works. Moves, And I think for some of us right now, it's easy to, to be in the four walls of a church or in our homes and we think that where there's worship and where there's teaching, that's where God's moving. And I just wanna encourage us right now that it's actually not that. He's not contextualized to that place. That is one space that he'll move in. But God is moving and working all the time in our soul. It is the place where God works. And for some of us, we've been neglecting it for a really long time. It's not working The Bible has a lot to say about our soul, especially when it comes to keeping it healthy. The health of our soul is of the utmost importance. Why? Because when it is out of place, so is everything else. In the Holman treasury of key Bible words, there are 200 Greek and 200 Hebrew words defined and explained that we find represent the word soul for life, The word in the Hebrew, the word in the Greek, we find where it says soul, it's meaning life. In other words, the Bible is pretty clear that our soul promotes life. Come on, somebody, how many of you need some life today? And when so, God breathes life into us, he's breathing into our soul. He's he's moving in that place where he Works. And the great preacher Charles Spurgeon would say this my soul has learned yet more fully than ever this day that there is no satisfaction to be found in earthly things. God alone can give rest to my spirit. Come on, how many of you would agree with me that we have a tendency to try to build our soul through th- things that can't build our soul? Can we just have like full disclosure moment right now, a little therapy? How many of you would say that your soul has been weary during this season? Come on. Little therapy in church today. Just raise your hand, little emoji if you're online with us today. My soul's been tired in this season. Six months, six months we've been in this season for many of us, even, even longer. And here we are in the midst of affliction in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship and frustration, and while we need to talk about our emotions as we have the past couple of weeks, how, how did that help you out over the past couple of weeks? And all the other things that we've talked about concerning how to survive a pandemic, we cannot and must not forego a thoughtful and considered allocation of attention to our souls. Because if we don't deal with our soul, we're gonna be out of whack. Many of us are gonna be walking around, it's not working, <laughs> I'm not working, my family's not working, my marriage isn't working, this moment isn't working. I want this truth to to be heard today. When we neglect our soul, we are neglecting the place where God works. And to be very honest with all of us today, this has been a very real and very personal journey for me lately. I have found that during these last six months, It has been my soul that has received much of the wear and tear, come on somebody, of this season that we've been in. Have you ever shopped for a a car, or shopped for a home, or shopped for like something new, but it was in a secondary place to shop, like say Facebook Marketplace, or KSL, or wherever else you can buy used goods? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And as you're shopping for the things, they'll give you the descriptor of what it is that you're looking at, and then right underneath, many times they'll say, normal wear and tear comes as is with normal wear and tear. The problem is, is right now I'm like, this is not normal. The wear and tear of my soul right now is not normal. The type of wear and tear that you would normally expect hasn't been there. It's been the type that comes in and through difficult moments, the type when you are shouldering things that are greater than you have shouldered before. It's the type that comes with affliction as it's present in our lives. In all of our cases, when you are navigating a pandemic like this, a culture like this, a moment like this, how many of you would agree with me today that our soul has taken wear and tear that has not been experienced before? Now, this is not normal wear and tear that I've been walking through. And so I take comforts In the words, it is well with my soul. Because those words are words that are birthed out of a way of living and being, knowing that my soul needs attention, that it needs care, and to have a healthy soul, to have a soul that has been attended to, well, that's what I want to spend the remainder of our time doing together today. Can we talk about our soul today? Come on online, can we talk about our soul today? How many of you would want a healthy soul in this place? How many of you want to develop a healthy soul that no matter what comes our way, no matter what we are shouldering, no matter what we are going through, I can say, it is well with my soul. It's well with my soul. So how do we take care of our souls in order to build and maintain a healthy life and and faith in the midst of affliction and hardship? I want to look at a couple truths. Uh, Here's the first one there is a difference between busy and hurried. There is a difference between busy and hurried. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42 paints this picture for us. It says, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha, 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 welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. I actually saw this meme the other day. Did you guys see this meme where it said, like, "How did the Brady Bunch first come onto Zoom?" Um, I thought that was funny. Get the picture in your mind. Um, some of you who have been on. <laughs> All right. But Martha was distracted. Watch what it says. So, so Mary sitting at the at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he said, verse forty. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. And the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> you are worried and upset about many things. Notice he doesn't even talk about the test. He says many things. Why? Because Jesus is zoning in on a different reality. He says, you are upset and worried about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken from her. Isn't it interesting that we tend to judge other people's peace? Because we ourselves are not experiencing it? Come on, somebody. We have a tendency to look at the peace that somebody else is having because they've chosen a way that seems Better, in this case, Jesus is saying, look, she's chosen the right route here. Why, because there's a difference between busy and hurried. A section of John Ortberg's book, Soul Keeping, Caring for the Most Important Part of You, highlights a conversation between him and his mentor, Dallas Willard. I wanna, I wanna read this conversation to you, watch what he says. Dallas pointed out to me once that there's a world of difference between being busy and being hurried. Being busy is an outward condition, a condition of the body. It occurs when we have many things to do. Busyness is inevitable in modern culture. If you are alive today in North America, you're a busy person. Watch what he says here. Being hurried is an inner condition, a condition of the soul. It seems to be so preoccupied with myself and my life that I'm unable to be fully present with God, with myself, and with other people. I am unable to occupy the present moment. Busyness migrates to hurry when we let it squeeze God out of our lives. Then he says this, I cannot live in the kingdom of God with a hurried soul. I cannot rest in God with a hurried soul. Soul. I believe this is where many of us find ourselves today. I've got things to say about busy, sure. But come on, how many of you would agree with me? If you just work your calendar right, say yes to the right things, say no to the right things, busy can mitigate itself. But many of us aren't busy, we're hurried. We're we're frantic on the inside in this season more than anything. I feel like we're seeing that. It's not even that I'm busy, but we still feel how many of you know like we've been locked up? We've been in our homes, we've watched, we've watched more Netflix than we've wanted to. We've been with our children longer than we ever wanted to be. We tried all the things, right? Like we tried painting. I don't even know how that worked out. Right, we bought a dog and chickens and we started a farm. (laughs) To do what? To keep myself busy. Isn't that interesting? We complained about being busy pre-COVID. Then we tried to keep ourselves busy during this moment, all the while never attending to the very thing that we needed to really attend to, and that was my soul. Why? Because it's not about busyness, it's about being hurried. (laughs) So busy is... It's very different from hurry. Martha was, she was hurried. She wasn't busy. So we have to learn to keep busy from entering our souls. The busyness of our mind, the busyness of our fear, the busyness of our anxiety from entering into our our souls and creating a hurried soul. Why? Because a hurried soul is no longer a hopeful soul. A hurried soul stops you from seeing what the soul perceives. Am I helping anybody out today? What if you stopped for three minutes just to simply listen to somebody because your soul was less hurried? How would that change your day and their day? You know, Honestly, this is why we are beginning the process of opening the doors to the church building because there is a space that we are called to occupy as Christ followers that allows us to stop and care for one another. But I gotta be very real with you, my soul's hurried because of this moment. So I'm combating against that. It's not that I'm busy, it's my soul's hurried. I'm, I'm, I'm scared of certain things, and, I, and I'm hearing different things, and I'm assimilating information, and I've got this going on, and I've got this going on, and we're working through these de- details, and oh man, I, I don't wanna miss people, and I don't want people to feel a certain way, and, and, and hurried, hurried, hurried. Come on, am I talking to anybody? Can you feel the hurry? And when that enters into your soul, it pushes God out of the place where he works, and many of us are clamoring, just trying to hear from God. Many of us just want to be in his sweet presence and the problem is, is that it's not the application around you, it's because our soul's busy. So we've gotta stop. Say it as well with my soul. We've gotta create sacred space for God to move. Here's the second truth that we need to grapple with today is that physical battles have spiritual implications. Physical battles have spiritual implications. Psalm 127, verse two, in vain, watch what, watch what the psalmist says, in vain you get up early and stay up late. Think about that statement. In vain you get up early. Some of you are like, well, see, there's the Bible's way of saying don't get up early anymore, which I get down with 100%. He says you get up early and you stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. See, the truth is, is that physical battles have spiritual implications. This is what Psalm is telling us right here. We're getting up early to work hard, staying up late to do all the things that we need to do, yet we are tired and we are weary and we're wondering why our life is not working. Well, it's because physical battles have spiritual implications. Implications. When I lack rest, it impacts the attention that I can give to God and others. Can we just get practical for a second, church? Come on, online, those of you who are in your pajamas right now. When I lack proper nutrition and healthy physical disciplines, I do not have the energy to engage in my calling. Physical impacts my soul. What I watch and listen to and fill my soul with, its content feeds my soul. Physical battles have spiritual implications. Listen, I work out at my gym sometimes, and I got some music on that is questionable. I'll be honest about that. Come on, don't, don't judge me. You know what I'm talking about. And I throw, like, I'll like i put some stuff on so I can lift a little extra weight, but the problem is is that it enters to help me lift weight. It adds weight to my soul. And as it's adding weight to my soul, I'm no longer able to engage and be the person that God has called me to be. And so while I may be needing a certain music to help me lift weight, it has added a burden to me. Why? Because our physical things have spiritual implications. What I watch and what I listen to and fill my soul with. Its content feeds my life. Uh Uh-oh, who I'm around and who I do life with impacts my soul and its strength. I got some great people around me. Erica came home the other day from a series of meetings and she's like, hey, just so you know, we got some good people around us. Here's my question to you. Do you have good people around you? The health and vibrancy of my soul is directly impacted by the physical things that I do and don't do. See, many of us find our souls exhausted because we've failed to realize that it's not a spiritual issue but rather a physical one that is sabotaging my desire and work for a healthy soul. We're trying to read our Bible more and worship our way and praise our way and pray our way into a healthier soul, but the problem is we didn't remove X. I can pray for a healthy soul. I want to, but if I'm listening to Rage Against the Machine every single day, <laughs> 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 come on, somebody, <laughs> right? It's not my soul that's getting held. Rage Against the Machine is in there, right? Like that's what my soul feels like. Like that's how some of us feel on the inside right now, mind you. Rage is not that bad when you're in the gym. <laughs> The condition of our soul is closely tied to the patterns of our life. See, this is where we tend to blame it on the devil. The devil didn't do anything. We did. He didn't push play. He didn't click on it. <laughs> right? He didn't choose those people for you. Am I talk, like, we're talking about how to survive a pandemic right now. We got enough outside pressure as it is to then add all these other issues into our lives. If I want a healthy soul, I need to realize that what I'm doing physically actually has spiritual implications. I need to mind my life in order to mind my soul. It is well with my soul. Here's the third truth we need to wrestle with is that silence is the act of a surrendered soul. Silence is the act of a surrendered soul. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still. Oh, I love that. Be still and know that I am God. Do you notice that stillness is the prerequisite for knowledge? Be still and know that I am God. C.S. Lewis said it like this. This inner silence is for our race a difficult achievement. There is a chattering part of the mind which continues until it is corrected to chatter on even in the holiest of places. You've been there before, right? You've been there before when you're trying to pray. Like, oh, I just want to pray right now. Chatter, 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 chatter. Just trying to worship. You're standing there, oh, you look so pretty worshiping. Hands are lifted, you're on key. You have the holy face going on, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like you're receiving. And all the while, you look holy, you look good. You're like, oh, I, gotta, I gotta pick those brownies up today. <laughs> so that you make it like you're receiving something from God. You're like, I'm gonna kill my husband right now. He didn't mow the lawn. Everybody's like, oh, look at them, they're receiving from Jesus. You're thinking about murdering your husband. (laughs) We've lost the silence. here's Here's what I want us to grab. One of the greatest reasons that we are afraid of silence is because we are afraid to walk around on the inside of us. One of the greatest reasons... That we are afraid of silence is because we are afraid to walk around on the inside of us. This is where we come face to face with the monsters that are hiding. My soul, it is well with my soul. See, we have to learn to find sanctuary in silence so we can find what we need for our souls. Some of us just need to be quiet. With our mouth, with our mind, with our opinions, with our ideas, we gotta be quiet. We gotta shut things down, we have gotta sit in silence and walk around on the inside of us. Andrew, will you pop up here, bud, really quick? I wanna illustrate why this is so scary for us. If our soul is the place that God works, when we are in silence, we're not just walking around on the inside of us by ourselves, God's walking with us. And so, if Andrew's in silence and he's walking around on the inside in the space where God works, God's leading him over here to say, hey, I wanna show you this. And it's only in silence that he sees what God wants to show him, so that God can fix what he's taking a look at. See, the thing is, is God doesn't show us the monsters in order to just leave us there and be like, have fun. Bye. No, 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 he says, listen, I'm, I'm walking with you in the cool of the garden. See this, bud? We need to work on that, because this is hurting your soul. So we look at why is it there? Let's work on that. What caused that? What, what, what's allowed that monster to stay there? Let's work on that. Let's repair that. Why? And it's in silence that this is done. It's not in, in hurry, and it's not in busyness, and it's not in these grand spiritual practices. It's just being quiet with God. Yeah. Being in the place where he works. Yeah. Thanks, bud. Can we put our hands together for. Thanks, bud. <clears throat> <clears throat> Here's the fourth and final truth I want us to grab a hold of today. Peace for my soul is found in the promised land of his presence. Peace for my soul is found in the promised land of his presence. Psalm 62, verses 1 through 8 says this I'm at rest in God alone. I'm at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. (laughs) Come on, somebody. Like, have you noticed we're a lot in Psalms right now? This is where David does some soul work. This is where David does some rest. This is where David deals with some things right here. And he says, listen, I am at rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Why? Because peace for my soul is found in the promised land of his presence. I've been reading this book. I've got our staff reading this book and I wanna, I don't do this very often but I just wanna highly recommend this book right here. Um, It's called Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership, Seeking God in the Crucible of Ministry. And you may think to yourself, I'm not in ministry. Yeah, you are. Every single one of us are. So pick up this book if you want to deal with your soul. So I've been been going through this book, dealing with my soul. And as I was reading it, she's she's accounting the story of of Moses stepping into his leadership role and leading all these people through the wilderness to the promised land. And he had a vision that God had given him. Come on, somebody. And it it was on the inside of him. And this vision was given on, on a mountaintop. And he showed something to Moses. God showed something to Moses that he didn't show to everyone else. And it was Moses' job to lead the people there. And for many of us, we think to ourselves, man, my soul will, I'll find rest for my soul when I reach the promised land. The promised land is where we think we'll reach rest for our soul. But I wanna just submit to us today that it's actually not the promised land that will ever cause rest for your soul. It's the promised land of his presence. That brings us rest for our soul. So she goes through some of this thought process and I wanna read you a a long excerpt from this book because it spoke to me and wrecked me and I hope it does to you. Martin Luther King Jr. expressed a similar conviction in a speech given in Memphis, Tennessee on the the night before he was assassinated. He spoke of receiving a letter from a little girl after he had been nearly fatally stabbed in New York. X-rays had revealed that the knife blade was, so lo- was lodged so close to his aorta that if he had sneezed, he would have died. King received letters of comfort and encouragement from around the world, but the one from this young white girl touched him deeply. Dear Dr. King, she wrote, while it should not matter, I would like to mention that I'm a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering. And I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. And I'm simply writing to say that I'm so happy you didn't sneeze. King then recounted many reasons why he too was glad he had not sneezed. He described a litany of victorious events that he had been able to be a part of because he hadn't sneezed. I wouldn't have been around here when Negroes in Albany, Georgia, decided to straighten their backs up. Or when the black people of Birmingham, Alabama, aroused the conscience of this nation and brought into being the Civil Rights Bill. Or later that year to try and tell America about a dream I had. I'm so happy I didn't sneeze, he said. But then he went on to say something new that had happened within him, something that put him in a different relationship with all that he had been a part of up until now. It just didn't matter like it used to. King alluded to Moses' experience on the mountain as well. With an uncanny foresight, which many feel was premonition, his speech gathered momentum until it reached a crescendo. And this is what he would say, I don't know what will happen now, he thundered. We got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I have been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just wanna do God's will and be allowed. And he allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the coming of the Lord. The journey to the mountaintop is the ultimate antidote to our grandiosity. If we will let it be, it helps us find our place in the scheme of things lest we become overly inflated in our view of ourselves and our role in kingdom work. A prayer written by Bishop Ken Utner in memory of Oscar Romero, Archbishop of San Salvador, who was martyred for his outspoken advocacy for the poor follows this line of thought, and I conclude on this. He said it helps now and then to step back and take a long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it's even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing this. This enables us to do something and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. And so we can step back, understanding that the promised land is not the promised land. The promised land is his presence. And it's it's in his presence that I see the, the promised land. Dr. Martin Luther King said on that night in his famous speech, ultimately if you boil everything down, he said, it is well with my soul. His life would be taken right after that. I wonder how many of us could walk out of here today and say, you know what? It is well with my soul. We're talking about how to survive a pandemic. You wanna know how to survive a pandemic? Walk out of these doors today, walk out of your house today, walk out of your kitchen today and say, it is well with my soul. It's well with my soul. It doesn't matter what I'm facing, it is well with my soul. It doesn't matter what the bank account says, it is well with my soul. It does not matter what the job front is doing, it is well with my soul. It doesn't matter about my politics and this, that, or the other, it is well with my soul. And you may say, but Jason, there's there's this and there's that, and do you understand this? Listen, I understand all the things that are happening in the world right now. It is well with my soul. Why? Because I have seen where God is moving. I know where God is place that I can say it's well with my soul.